All right. So we're in part two of this series called Fresh Start. And it, as, it is, as the name uh, entails here, suggests that we're wanting to start our year with a fresh start, the rebooting. You know, just like with a computer, you, you know, sometimes things aren't running right. The best thing is just to start it over again, reload the initial, you know, base programming. And that's really what we're talking about here, is reloading some of the base programming in our faith. So I chose the book of 1 John uh, to be a study that we'll do to make this happen. And I'm very excited about this because I really believe that uh, John really hits the nail on the head. As I was going through, I just said, there it is. You know, John was obviously the, uh, one of the apostles, and John was very special. He's probably the closest apostle to the Lord, so he had a chance to really observe. So his gospel and his epistles are very unique, and they really express probably the most detail regarding uh, Jesus being God, without question, but also the humanity and the intimacy of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about re rebooting our life, we're looking at what John has to say, and I want to say, also say that he, he speaks to a real problem in the church. Now, from the very get-go, the church was not without enemies. I mean, from the moment Jesus was born, the enemy was waiting there almost literally as Mary's giving birth to try to destroy him and try to destroy the church, God's, God's gift to the world. And he hasn't stopped, and he certainly hasn't stopped today. And so John is addressing some of these issues, what's as I mentioned last week, the early form of what was called Gnosticism, secret knowledge, and basically was working its way into the church and deceiving Christians, especially young Christians. John is not just a writer, he's actually a pastor, and he's pastoring several churches throughout Asia, which would be Turkey today, some, some of these churches, you know, uh, and places you can still visit. And, uh, but he wrote, as you know, in the book of Revelation to many of these churches to to encourage them, to rebuke them in some cases. But he's a pastor, and he, was, he, he pastored many of these churches, perhaps he even uh, planted those churches as an apostle. Probably did, likely did. And uh, so this letter is written to them, to warn them, to encourage them, and in some cases rebuke them, because they have been biting into some of these lies. In through the church, which, of course, the doors are always open to the church, sometimes among us comes those who have... Uh, misrepresented the, 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 the scripture, and John is going to expose this. And so, obviously, it's, it's good to see that exposed for that period of history, but you know what? There are uh, 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 applications for our time now. As a matter of fact, probably more now than any other time in history, right now. So, we're going to do that. And we started last week, you know, John began the first chapter in really encouraging us and knowing that, look, that Jesus Christ is real. So we talked about that. That was the biggest thing, is that one of the, what the Gnostics taught was that Jesus was just a ghost, that he was not, he was just a spirit, that what they saw was not physical flesh. And now you say, yeah, that's a problem because he was fully man and fully God, and there's a reason for that, which I can't get into theologically at this point, but it was very super important, okay, that he was that. And John said, look, I touched him, I saw him, you know, that's why his language was all a testimony. So we walked with the guy. We know he was human, but he was also God. He is God. So he settled that fact in the first chapter. But then he talked about how that this, this lie also was coming into the church to say, look, you can be spiritual and still walk in sin. 
you can do, you can be what you can be a Christian, but you can also walk in the flesh and do things that are sinful. And John is saying, uh, no, that's not what Jesus taught. And the reason why they, they were being encouraged to do that was because if the spirit was good and the physical flesh was bad and had no account, then whatever we do in the flesh doesn't have any purpose or meaning. There's no impact on us. Therefore, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, enjoy the flesh, and you know, uh, and, but yet that which is done in the spirit will last forever. Big time lie. And so John is saying, look, this is not what Jesus taught at all. And so in a very simple, loving, almost childlike fashion, John writes this letter. And when I say childlike, it's because of the Greek. The Greek is some of the simplest Greek that you find in the New Testament. And it's almost, he does that on purpose to try to encourage them to just say, look, let's, let's talk of these things simply so that I can help you not get snagged on these lies. Now, you're saying, so what does Gnosticism have to do with now? Well, look, it's all here in just various forms. It's not called that anymore. But it's, and, and here's one of the things. There's nothing new under the sun. The enemy has the same old strategy. He keeps doing what he's doing. He just repackages it culture after culture, you know, century after century. It's the same old lies, same old vomit that he continues to pour out and try to deceive Christians with. But it's our job to ask God to help us expose this thing. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're doing in this series is expose these lies to get us reset our lives so they can get right back to the keys that will bring us the most joy and happiness. That's the goal here, all right? It's not to rub our noses in sin. It's not to make us, you know, all feel bad. You know, so if you're feeling bad right now, just, you know, just turn to your neighbor and say, don't be feel bad. Jesus loves you, okay? The Bible tells you that. We just celebrated that fact. But now we're going to go deeper. We're going to base our love and our affection on something solid, okay? So it can't be taken from us. That's my heart for you. That we get, we base our faith on something solid and real and true. So let's do it. So in part two, learning to follow Jesus, all right? Learning to follow him. Now I'm gonna do what I often do. I wanna start with one of the last verses in this chapter to give us, so you help us understand where we're going. So then we'll fill in the blanks as we come up to it so that we understand where we're headed. So check it out. 1 John 2, 26 and 27. I have written these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So there you go. John is saying, look, I'm writing this because there's someone who's trying to deceive you. 27. And as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. Well, that's encouraging. And you do not need anyone to teach you. John says this over and over again. He's trying to affirm them because he's writing a letter to people he knows. And they're like, well, John, why are you going over all of these basic things? He's saying, look, you don't really need to be taught. But he'll tell you what the issue is here in just a second. But just as his true and genuine anointing teaches you about all things, so remain in him as you have been taught. So now here's the pastor heart of John coming out. Say, look, you know these truths. I know you know these truths because I'm the one who taught you these things. But now you need to stay walking in them. Don't let somebody rob you of the truth. Don't let them steal this from you because of the fine-sounding arguments, because of this culture that seems to be more enlightened than any other culture, to not buy into the philosophies of man that are all just decorated versions of the same old lies, just different names. You just take ism and drop it on the back of it, and it's new, recycled lies. That's all it is. 
So John is saying, remain in him. And now, that, so that, that, this is curious language, remain in him. Now, that seems a little elusive, maybe a little ambiguous when we try to define it, remaining in him. What is that remaining in? Well, that, that assumes that I was with him in the first place, right? So this is for Christians. He is speaking to Christians, not unbelievers. He's speaking to Christians. So he's saying, you were in him, now remain in him. So now we need to define what it is to remain in the Lord. What is walking with him? So we're going to look at three things today. Three things that John brings out in this chapter. Many more, but these three are the ones that come to the top of the surface for me that I think will help us to that end. Number one, embracing the new command. Jesus came teaching what he called a new command. We'll unpack that. Secondly, denying the world. So John talks about the world. What is the world? Wow, it seems like you know, the world is big. But are we talking denying this physical planet? No, no, no. We're talking about a spirit behind the world. And he's going to expose as to what that really is. And then thirdly, exposing the Antichrist. Now, don't freak out on me, okay? You don't get up and leave. I'm not going to talk about the Antichrist and get into a whole YouTube thing, get that all conspiracy stuff started. No, we're going we're to talk about, see, there is a person called the Antichrist. That's well known. Starts in the book of Daniel, goes through all, Paul talks about him, almost every, Peter talks about him, and I say him because they do identify it as being a man, and his number is what? Yeah, you all know that. So anyway, we know that a man is coming. Don't know when he's going to come. Don't know how he's going to come. We just know he's coming. But this is not the Antichrist that John is talking about here. John is talking about the spirit of Antichrist that he said actually was launched the moment Jesus came into this world and continues to expose itself in trying to defeat the the church and all God's people with a very vicious, lying, uh, discrediting spirit and it's, and, and it's clear, okay? So there's deceptives that are, deceptions that are not so clear, but this one is clear, and we'll get into that one as well, all right? So let's look at number one, embracing the new command. So John addresses this right here in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, or 9 through 11. He says, if anyone claims to be in the light but hates his brother, he is still in darkness, This is the new command, that we're to love our brother as ourselves, right? Now, these are just words. And it is knowledge. We all know this. You've heard it before. There's songs about it. But John's going to press us here. He's going to press us. Whoever loves his brother remains in the light. And there is no stumbling in him. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Now, these are very simple terms, but if we really ride them out a little bit, they, they have, I mean, you can feel it. I mean, we all know what it is to try to walk around in the darkness, right? I mean, you get up in the middle of the night, poof, oh, man, you bump your toe, your knee, whatever. There's pain, there's confusion, there's distraction, there's, there's all the different stuff. Darkness is not a fun place to be, and yet John uses that. He says, look, when you hate your brother, or if you're not loving him, Okay, and we'll explain what that is in a minute. Then you're walking in darkness. And what is walking in darkness is blindness. You don't know where you're going. We can all identify with that. We've all been lost. We've all been confused. We've all been in situations like that. Now now apply the whole concept to your whole life. That by hating our brother, it literally will bring us into darkness, and we may think we know where we're going, but no, we're just really stumbling around in the darkness. We might see what we think we're going to, but we're on the wrong path. 
And, and that's really what we're talking about. It's more of a lostness than we are complete blindness, even though blindness is the word that John uses. And how many times, you know, it's kind of like the broom in the closet kind of syndrome. I mean, uh, broom in the corner syndrome is there, but you no longer see it because you've just gotten used to it. And so, so many things in this life are like that, 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 that there's a plain path, but we don't choose the path. Why? Because we're blind. And how do we get blind? John brings it out. He says, look, spiritual blindness comes initially right off the bat, and Jesus hit it the nail on the head over and over again. You cannot say you love God and hate your brother. You cannot hate people. And now, who's our brother? Ah, thanks for asking. Jesus actually addresses this in Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asks, and what, how do you read it? So Jesus says, look, let me ask you. And that's a, that's a great teacher technique, by the way. Somebody asks a question, will you ask a question back? He said, I want you to think. Then I got you. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is the teacher speaking. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Of course, this is quoting the, uh, the Old Testament. And to love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. Just love that. He's saying, so you got the right, you got the knowledge. Now just go and do it. But he exposed his pride, exposed his blindness. And so he pushed Jesus a little bit farther, and not a good thing to do, because now he's going to get it. He says, you have answered correctly, do this. And he says, but he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, then uh, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Shoot, we read about that in the news every day, practically. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, and he passed on the other side, so he ignored it. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Now, remember, what are Samaritans? They are half-breed Jews. They are the arch enemies of the Jews because they, they try to be Jewish, but they don't have the law, nor the purity of blood, nor of the traditions. The, the Pentateuch and the honoring of, of course, Jerusalem being the place and only place where they could go and worship. So the Samaritans are arch enemies. So as this Samaritan is traveling, he came to where the man was. The man was beat up and bleeding. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. That's pretty nice of him, isn't it? Which of these three do you think? So we had the priest, we had the Levite, we had the Samaritan. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor, quote, unquote, to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now, the neighbor, of course, is referring to the Old Testament law, to love our neighbor as ourselves, okay? So Jesus has got him. And he goes, so what do you want to think he was the real neighbor to him? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So he had him. And yet what Jesus did here was amazing. 
he actually nailed them on two things. He nailed them on the reality that, look, and who knows, it might have been that Jesus had a word of knowledge and knew that this man had actually done that. In many cases, Jesus did. I mean, he's God, after all. And it is possible that this man, this teacher in the law, could have been a Levite. Who knows? He could have been, he witnessed this. Maybe it was he himself who went on the side of the road. And yet, so Jesus exposes that hypocrisy right there and then to say that the most religious among you are not even doing a kind deed to a fellow man. They didn't say that the man who was hurt was the Samaritan. It's probably just another Jew. And yet, they ignored that. But now there's a second whack coming. And he says, now, the one who actually did show love and compassion was the very man that you hate. So his hypocrisy and his hatred were all exposed in the same story. And so what we need to do is apply that here to John's understanding of who our neighbor is. And when he talks about loving and not hating, walking in the light, we, we need to apply that. We need to look at this because, folks, right now, our nation is probably more divided than it's ever been, probably going back to the Civil War, and we're probably close to something like that. And what is really sad and heartbreaking is that many Christians are on the front line of making this thing happen. In other words, we're out there in the middle of the field calling out hatred, you know, writing hateful things and doing things all in the name of what is right, all in the name of whatever, whether it be social justice or whatever it is. Some of the stuff that's going is very hateful. It's very unkind. It's very hypocritical in every sense of the word. And so yet, here we are going over here, raising our hands to worship Jesus, talking about the Lord, understanding, maybe knowing the large portions of the Bible and what Jesus taught. But on the other side, this is not being walked out. John is saying, crying foul. He's saying, and, and so I don't even like to use the word hypocrisy here because we way overuse that. Once again, we take an English word, we beat it to death, and it has no more meaning. But what we're really talking about here is walking in darkness because that's what it is walking in darkness. We're not applying the truth to our life. And so, again, I'm not here to rub our noses in this. I think, you know, we'll let the Holy Spirit determine whether, how we fit ourselves into this story that Jesus gave. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But if indeed it is exposing something, then, folks, we need to acknowledge, as John began in chapter one, that we are walking in darkness because we will not find the light until we understand that and embrace it. We cannot break out of this darkness and into the light until we start there, right there. I have to show kindness and love, generosity to my fellow man, whether he's a Christian or not, whether he is somebody that I like or not. Because Samaritan puts it right into our laps, doesn't it? I mean, think about that for a minute. Samaritan represents not just an innocent bystander, but somebody who I might despise in regular life. Uh-oh. Now, I can throw out some things there. And I think I will. How about this? Black and white? Political background and philosophies? Midwestern Southerner? That hurts, man. <laughs> I just got to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. So, I mean, West Coast, East Coast, spinach, whatever that other stuff is. Collard greens, yeah, I can't even say it anymore. But anyway, see, that's where we live. 
And we can joke about this, but the truth is we have drawn lines of separation and we as Christians are being forced into this place where we've got to make a decision. And here's John saying, you are being taught by the deceivers to separate yourselves, to to become hateful people in your designations. And yet it is very hypocritical. It's not Jesus. It's not what Jesus would do. And so church, we will not be a shining light until we get past that. We will not. We will have no message no message. So look, make 2019 be the year that you rediscover what real love for your fellow man or fellow woman is. So, I mean, but let's talk about that a little bit. What are some modern examples of where we show hatred? You're saying, Pastor David, please let me up for air. Ain't done. Modern examples. Gossip. I mean, I don't have to slap my neighbor to show them unkindness. I mean, my words can do plenty damage. And Facebook, Dear God in heaven. I mean, has the pit of hell just opened up and just... Of some of the stuff people write. Good Lord. Or just, you know, third person, innocent bystander posting. I mean, it still counts if you post something that somebody else wrote that was hatred and, and, and just passed it on. I mean, you still did it, all right? We're still... I mean, this little finger movement with a little click still counts, all right? Slander, using somebody's name, going around in the community and bad-mouthing someone, unrealistic expectations that we sometimes, I mean, these are subtle things that we can put on people, and it's unkind and it's unloving, okay? Manipulation and control, yeah? Pushy, selfish demands, callous, dispassionate actions, ambivalence regarding biblical truth. These can be unkind, unloving things as well, although very subtle, still are hurtful. They are. So, you know, forgiving people is a tough thing. And, and, and I, I've shared this in the other services, and I'll do it again just a week ago. You know, in our home, we were enjoying the, the holidays just a minute like many of you. So late at night, we uh, heard a loud noise, the sound of reports that sounded like gunshots and uh, loud noises in our house. And we discovered that somebody had shot something through uh, one of our front windows. And it looked like a bullet hole because it went through uh, several panes of glass. And of course, I'm looking around like, man, who's shooting into my house? And we call the police. The police comes and he says, well, it's probably not a bullet and because uh, it would have done more damage than it did. But what turns out, it was a, a marble that somebody shot out of a paint gun. And I'm going to tell you right now, because uh, I did a little research on that, that can really mess you up. But yet it's, it's, it's something that's out there and people are using and using it to terrorize people. And so, and I'm going to tell you right now, it, it, it had its effect. And so, I mean, so what am I going to do? Here I'm a pastor, and what I know, do I walk out into the front yard and say, may the fleas of a thousand camels camp in their armpits? <laughs> do I ask the earth to open up and swallow these people and destroy them and burn them? Do I want them dragged through the city naked and exposed? Well, I thought of that momentarily, okay? I have to admit, right? Or if I'd had a weapon in my hand, I'm not going to deny that there might be something flying in the other direction. But what a wonderful test for me and my family. So what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do? And so, in my heart, I just say, I know what we got to do. Lord, I just bless whoever it was that did that. 
in Jesus' name, I ask you to bless them. Now, I'm, not saying that, I'm not, not saying that justice ought not to be brought, and I pray that they get caught. A New Year's Eve, I heard the same report of that gun going off somewhere else in the community. I heard it. It's a very distinct sound. And I, Lord, I just prayed for him again. Lord, I don't know if it's a bunch of young people. I don't know. If you find him, send him my way. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just playing with you. But it had its effect, and my response is, has to be biblical, and that is to love. That is to bless. That is, what does it say? Bless my enemies? See, now we're getting to where this thing really, really works. Now, you may say, well, man, did, does God call us to be a worm and to be crushed and to be publicly? Oops. Yeah, he kind of did. He said, follow me. And, but that's not to mean that you need to be embarrassed or that you in, suffer injustice all your life. I believe that when we bless and do not curse, what happens? God's going to bless me. And so what kind of blessing does God have coming for 2019? I think big ones. Because the enemy doesn't like what I'm doing. The enemy doesn't like what you're doing. And he's going to strike out against you. And he's going to nip at your heel. He's going to do things like that. It's how you respond to that, which will determine your own peace and your own blessability from there on out. That's for free today. All right. Second point. I'm sorry, because I didn't share that in the other services. I'm just joking. All right. Number two. Denying the world. i got to get motor in here. Denying the world. 1 John 1, uh, 2, 15 and 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And if anyone, anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, flesh, King James says lust. We'll get back to that in a minute. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, and that's both the physical world, which we know, but also the world system. And what is the world system? Anti-God, anti-love for mankind. It's Satan in all of his, 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 his deceptions, as clearly defined in these three different ways. Lust of the flesh, so all of our passions, those things, that's what he appeals to, our hunger, our desire, you know, our, all the different passions that use your imagination, you know what I'm talking about, all the passions that come from this body. But the lust of the eyes, the things that we look at, the things that we wish we had, the things that we covet, you know, that. And then the pride of life. And that is man rising up and saying, I can do this on my own. Man is basically good. Man can build, whether it be a tower of Babel or a tower of whatever, that we can build and we can build ourselves. And I lift myself up on my bootstraps and whatever is good is what I do. And, and all of that, that's the pride of life. Okay. So the, word of, the wording here in these verses are very comprehensive, and we should ask a few deeper questions, and I did. And I looked at it. When he talks about the love that's for the world, I said, well, what, what, what's the word he uses there in the Greek? And it's agapate, literally. But the, core, the, the root of that word is agape. Now, that's interesting because, boom, that explodes some things here, and I'll tell you why. Because, you know, there are other Greek words for love. There's phileo, and then there's eros. Eros for the sexual love. Phileo is the, the brotherly love that we have for one another. Agape is unique. Agape is what we call the God kind of love. It is the sacrificial love. It is the God so loved the world kind of love that he laid down his life. And we're called to walk in that same kind of love. But look, that this is used in an actually somewhat of a reversed format. He's saying, don't love the world like you're supposed to be loving God. So he's saying, if you agape the world, 
then this is what it looks like. It's going to have passion. It's going to have focus. It's going to affect your priorities in life. It's going to affect what you do and how you live your life. And he's he's telling them, look, that's a lie of the enemy. And you've got to understand that the world is going to rob you. It's going to steal from you. It's going to leave you broken and blind. And so he's saying, look, this is, where it, this is where it comes from. It comes from the lust inside you. Now, I'm going to say this. As a balance to all this, to, to say, it's not to say that all the wonderful things that are offered to us, especially in this modern world, are something that we can't enjoy. Absolutely. There, there is a context for enjoying the things that God has given us. And, to, and, and the Bible tells us we're to enjoy them fully but it's when we get them out of balance and they become something that we live for and we are overdoing that they destroy us. It can be actually something good can become harmful because it's out of balance and it's not enjoyed in context as the gift that it is. You see? See, sex is, is just a mess right now, just a mess because we've forgotten who gave it to us and we've forgotten its context something to be fully enjoyed in the context for what it was given. And when we get back to that is when it will be its greatest gift. But it goes on to be a very destructive thing because it's not in the context. And you notice, have everybody noticed that it's a moving target? I mean, it's a moving target. And what I mean by that is that now we don't even know what we're supposed to have sex with. Yeah. And, and that's where we are. And matter of fact, the Bible says that in, that in the last days, that the things of God will be so confused and so distorted and so ugly. And by the way, this has happened before in history. And if you read through, oh, shoot, I can't get into all that. So, yeah, thank you. So the world defined here, it, it goes on. So what I, wanted, what I wanted you to catch was that uh, this agape is used in context. It's, it's an unusual use of the word, but it's, it's good because it helps what us see that what John is saying is don't love the world that way. Now, he's going to unpack that even more in chapters 3 through 5. We'll come back to that. But Proverbs chapter 4 is an excellent verse. When it comes to us as Christians, knowing how to respond to these passions, check this out. Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it, good to know. Keep your mouth from perversity and keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Apply that to every situation. Who do we speak to? What do we say to other people? Let's not let corruption flow through. What, what Solomon is telling us here is that what comes out of our mouth actually corrupts our heart. It does. Words are powerful. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Okay, verse 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your dra- gaze directly before you. Where have we heard that before? The lust of the eyes. So watching your eyes. Your eyes are the gateway to your soul, but they're also the induction system to your soul as well. What we look at get indelibly printed. So, I mean, let's follow that naturally. So let's, let's not be looking at pornography. Let's not be looking at other people lustfully. Let's not be looking at other things lustfully. Let's not let covetous take control and order our steps. And you know, this thing gets so complex, you really need the Holy Spirit to help you, big time. The address is simple. It's application, very complex. And every one of us are different. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit, which is John was saying, you are anointed. You have the anointing of God. You have the truth. Now remain in him, and he'll show you how to make this happen. All right. 
Finally, exposing the Antichrist. You're probably wondering where I was going on that. 1 John 2, 23-23. You, however, have an anointing from the Holy One. Thanks again, John. And all of you know the truth. He established that again. I have not written to you because you lack the knowledge of the truth, but because you have it. What is he saying there? Well, I wrote in my notes, the greater sin is doing the wrong. We know is wrong. Ignorance of sin. In many ways, John, uh, Paul was, became an apostle because what he thought he was doing was for God. And, so even John, and Paul even says that. He says, God had mercy on me because I was just deceived. So there's a difference between being deceived, tremendous amount of mercy there. But if we know the truth and have the Holy Spirit and still walking these things, that's an owie. That, that hurts. And that is, that is a special call to better, Lord, help me. So who is the liar? If it is not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Because that's where this goes. See, that's another moving target. And I really want to jump in on this because I've said it in the other services and, and I can get pretty hot about this. But I really feel like that one, that one of the greatest agendas of the enemy right now is to destroy our young people. And that is to remove Christ from them. So the Antichrist is not a person, but it's a spirit that pervades in almost every one of our public situations. It's in our entertainment industry, in full blow. It's in our some, many of our universities today where we have those who are being driven and being controlled by an Antichrist spirit. They're not just teaching false philosophies, but they're going after Jesus in the heart. And they're going to do that with a very... A detailed way, and it goes like this. You cause them to fail morally, then it has to follow philosophically, and then that will go after your faith and destroy it. It will shipwreck it, shut you down, and pull you out of the game, leaving you on the side of the road broken and confused. Now, that's the whole journey, but early on is to say, well, man, I'm having a great time because everybody else is doing it, and how many times have you heard that excuse? Everybody abandoned Jesus. Every single one of them. Did that make Jesus' word and what he preached untrue? No. It just exposes where we really live. And it doesn't take much for us to cut and run. But we have the anointing of God. We have it. And it makes it even more important for us to hold on with a white knuckled fist to what we know is true. And that's what John is saying here. You guys, I love you. I have pastored you for years. Do not listen to those rascals because there are lies. And he goes, and I'm telling you right now, it's driven by a spirit that is ultimately anti-Christ. Not a person, but it's a spirit. So again, most Christians know these, trick, or these truths, but the trick is walking them out. Denying Christ is a strong indicator of a deceptive spirit. So can I say this? That if you have friends that say, I don't believe that Christ is real or anything like that, can I just say, I love you, I'm for you, and I'm always going to be, but that's not a healthy friendship. Because even though they act good, seem good, what is their good? Really, their good is for them in the end. Again, good is a moving target. And they call that existentialism. My good might be different than your good. That means I could probably hurt you, and that's my good. You ever heard of pedophilia? That's from the pit of hell. And it is in, and, and it's, and it's growing in our nation, in people that we should be trusting. There's a special place in hell for that, in my opinion. He denies the Father and the Son. 
Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. Why does John mention this? I'll tell you why. Because it is in the heart of every human being to want to be connected to the Father. We're children. We got a daddy. And so that it displays itself in many religions. So you went, why are there so many religions? Well, of course there would be. We're all children seeking the Father. We're all seeking a connection to the higher power because we're by design, we're hardwired to do it. But we have a solution and that there was only one man. He says, if you want the Father, you must have Jesus because Jesus is the only one who reconnects us to the Father in the only way possible. And that is for him to die for our sins, to take it for us. The gospel is doggone good compared to all the other crap out there. It's a free gift died for me and you so that we could be reconnected to the Father. Jesus said this over and over and over and over again. That's the goal. So John is saying, look, you want the Father, you've got to have the Son. And the the Antichrist spirit is trying to take Jesus from you and then remove you from the Father because that's what's going to happen. So we want the Father. And yet, these early lives were trying to use secret knowledge to bait and switch. That's what they were doing. Bait and switch. And that's what's going on today. may look different, smell different, come in different packages, but it's all the same. It's bait and switch. Bait you through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, appealing it all through those areas to say, look, I will give you this, but you've got to give me your Jesus. Because that's where it all ends up. So... Folks, this is where we are. If we want to reboot our life, this is not about trying to rub our noses in sin. You know, I, you're, some of you may be used to that, of just constantly always being ri- reminded of your sin. I'm sinful. Yes, pastor, we got it. We're sinful rags. You know, okay, we get it. It's not what this is about at all. John started in the ch- first chapter to say, look, you're sinners. The fact that you deny it is your worst problem. It's not the sin. Jesus took care of the sin. But we need to walk in the light, and that is honesty. And that is also, he's also saying, look, you can't, so let's get specific about what this honesty is. You must love your brother as yourself. We cannot let this hatred, this cutting down, this, we've, we've got to attack that this year. We've got to let some of these issues that are separating us and causing us to be accusatory and just downright mean get out of our lives and speak blessing over the people that we, we mistrust or uh, feel like they're doing wrong. We need to bless them instead of curse them. And we need to expose the deeds of darkness. Now, when it comes to this, I want to finish with that, folks. John said, I'm not, I'm not John. Paul said in there in Romans chapter one, I am not ashamed of the gospel for the power of God for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. We cannot be ashamed of this gospel. We are letting a small minority of really decrepit people determine what the rest of us are going to do. And so we fall back. We're afraid to speak out in our faith. So I'm not saying we need to go around and pound on people's doors and drag them out and say, love Jesus or else. I am saying this, that you need to stand up wherever you are and stand humbly but boldly. Because if the darkness comes and we continue to shy back and not be the light, I think part, part of the problem is why the light is not advancing in our nation is because the church has got a lot of growing up to do. I think we need to discover what the light is in the first place. And this is how we get it done. We reboot our life on truth. 
we get the word back into our life, get it regularly and remaining in him. That's what I want to finish with. What is remaining in him? It's doing what he said. And I want to go even further. It is talking to him every day. It's being connected to him every day. The only thing that disconnects us is unconfessed sin. But you know what? You can go to the Lord. He says, I can come boldly before his throne of grace and receive help in my time of need. I can pray. I can talk to him. He can help me. He can walk me, negotiate all of these these little traps and crazy things that are happening in this world. We have the anointing of God, and we have the truth. We just have to walk it out. We can do it. The grace of God is here to help us do it. And here, I, I, you know, as your pastor, I want to lead us into that. So we're rebooting, rebooting. Let's get the basic good programming of truth reloaded into our hearts. Do you receive that today? Amen. Come on, tell me, do you receive that today? I mean, I know we're not a shouting hallelujah church, but sometimes you need to be, all right? All right. All right. So let's stand up this morning.